0: is your land podcast it's been a couple weeks and we're excited to be back with you i have with me in the huge air quotes uh studio mike krupka how are you doing mike
1: doing good man i'm doing good we were talking before the show things at work have been pretty hectic but uh other than that it's pretty you know pretty slow time in Browns season so um just excited to be with you here on air yeah man
0: i'm excited to have you with me here on air and also, I'm excited for those stories. Like, I, I, I live uh, for your uh, startup tech firm stories of what that life looks like because, honestly, as somebody who uh, has been in that life and now works for the government, this is, this is, it's always good for me to, to circle back around and hear uh, what that looks like. So I'm reminded of why I'm not on call with clients calling me at all hours of the day freaking out about everything melting down and, and going haywire because it's, it's good to not be that guy.
1: Yeah, it's fun to. Uh, it's it's fun. It's a good experience, but it, it's definitely hectic. It's crazy, and um, I think the the silver lining is I I really like the people I work with, and I think in any company if you're in the trenches with people that you enjoy, it makes you know it makes the task that much more bearable, even if it is a pain in the ass or whatever it might be. But yeah, it's all it's all good stuff. It's good experience, and we all like challenges, right? So yeah
0: and i think you hit the nail on the head there i think that there's nothing um there's no industry that's immune to that i think that every industry regardless of what you do if you're working with people that you enjoy being around and you don't have to be going to these kids bat mitzvahs or quinceaneras you don't have to be grilling out with these people every friday night but like on a day-to-day basis when you walk into the office you see people you enjoy grab a cup of coffee with somebody talk about anything it can be anything like if these are people that you enjoy being around it makes it whatever the nature of the work is so much better. I worked at a firm for six years in which, um, you know, I was kind of doing the same things over and over and over again. Um, I wasn't growing as prof- professionally as fast as I could have because uh, I wasn't like being challenged or pushed as much as I could have. But these were dudes that I loved working with. These were dudes that I played softball with, played volleyball with. Uh, you know, I, I these these guys were like family, and they still are. And it's 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 always great to be able to work in that kind of environment. And that's why that's why we're still doing these podcasts. That's because we're still talking about. Brown's football in the context of dogs by nature, because you and I have been doing this for a decade now, and these are good folks. Like for the most part, um, they're enjoyable folks to work with, and it's always good to talk about Brown's football with people who have a, a and 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 this sounds incredibly arrogant, but a, a greater than surface level understanding of what's going on on the team. And you and and you're you're kind of in a bubble for good sports information, good sports knowledge for when when you're surrounded with these kind of people, and all it takes is a journey through Facebook or a journey through the comments of a cleveland.com Browns article to see that, like that's not what most people are exposed to when it comes to talking about football. It's nice to to be around people who know what they're talking about and to, to, to have fun conversations about this kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, man, it's crazy. We've been, like you said, we've been doing this since, I mean, I can't even really remember like 2011, 2012. Yeah. And if, if we didn't have mutual respect or, and, or, you know, force each other to think differently and, you know, change, change the way we think about certain things. I don't think we'd still be uh, talking story here on air, you know, yeah. seven years later, it's pretty crazy.
0: Yeah. And I mean, we've come a long way too, as far as um, understanding of sports in general, but also as, 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 as the Browns have changed, I've been thinking a lot about those uh, early uh, early uh, 2010, 2011, 12 teams that we started writing about when we're trying to dissect the similarities between, Ryan Mallett and Brandon Whedon because it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's interesting how far we've come. It's interesting how different this team is in flavor and context and texture uh, from those teams. Um, I have a, a close friend whose son plays in a flag football team in which there are only seven teams and they rotate the team's names. They're in Texas. So one of the teams is always the Cowboys. Usually there's a Texans. And he said that of the seventeens, teams, one of the seven teams this year was the Browns, that the kids chose for the Browns to be one of those teams. We are living in a completely different reality than we have since 2011. Like this is just a different world that we live in. Um, And it's, it's, it's going to be wild. It's going to be a really wild ride this year.
1: Yeah. I I had a moment, excuse me. I had a moment just, just yesterday watching building the Browns where it kind of dawned on me that we really are in this era that we've never been in before where the Browns are perhaps the most relevant they've ever been in our lifetime. And the, yeah, the hype train is there, but the potential for this team is is legit. It's it's palpable. It's not just on paper. It's like a real thing. And we're sort of at the apex of being a Browns fan, and and we've gone through so much. And I just had that realization in that moment. It kind of all came together and congealed to like th- this is this is a pretty special time to be a Browns fan. So yeah, besides it being the damn you know doldrums of summer with no news now, let's go. But everything else removed, it's 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 an exciting time.
0: Yeah, this is this is the doldrums. It's it's incredible. I was listening to the Around the NFL podcast today, and those guys can find shit to talk about. Like they, so what? Right. Like Chris Waddle got married and he got thrown go on vacation, <laughs> and they're talking about the machinations of the league and the, um, uh, the, the the collective bargaining agreements. Like they can find stuff to talk about. They have five guys with an exclusive job. They get paid by the the NFL league office to find things to talk about, and even they are like, my stories suck nobody's reading any of this stuff. Like it's, we're doing like divisional power rankings and like in July, who knows what any of that's going to look like. Like, it's just, it's the dead time of the year. It's um, if you're, if you're, if you're a big sports fan, it's a good opportunity to talk about um, baseball, college basketball, Hmm. talk about the NBA draft. Like this is the dead time. Fortunately, like we're coming into July. We're only a couple weeks away from actual like meaningful football activities kicking off. Um, And I'm grateful for that. But um, I, 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 I'm so excited for the season to kick off, and I'm so excited for all of the bits and pieces to kind of come together to deal here, like you said. Um, so it's uh, it's, it's – I'm still going to take the time, and we're going to take the opportunity to talk about little Browns nuggets because it makes us it makes us happy. It makes us feel closer to that, that, that opening of uh, mandated activities. I haven't caught much of uh, Building the Browns. I caught the first three episodes, and they were great. They were fun. Um, it's fun to watch the changes in some of the players. Like, it's fun to see – Everybody a, a year more comfortable in the system. It's fun to watch guys working out and, and knowing the routines. Freddie Kitchens walking in with that like ultra calm, you know, duck on the surface kind of demeanor. And you see Baker walking in like the cock of the wall, kind of owning what's going on. Um, and so it's just a very different vibe. What are, what are you seeing from the last couple episodes
1: Absolutely. I think, first of all, the building, the Browns just the whole series has been phenomenal for me as a yeah. fan. And I think they've good done production a, value. good production value. I and mean, what did they win? Like as an SB or they did, they did they, some yeah. sort of yeah. award that they won and and they deserve every bit of it. It's a, it's a fantastic series and I, I keep saying it on Twitter. I, I hope they do it throughout all of training camp. And I know at the end of the last episode, they said they're, they're going to be back on August 11th. So yeah. maybe not all of training camp, but they're definitely going to be making a push before the regular season. So all that being said, I think the theme that if you're a listener to this podcast, one of the seven that are out there, maybe eight or nine now, but it almost seems like we planned out the flow of this because we were just talking about how it's great to work with people that you enjoy no matter what the task is. And that's sort of the, for the first time, I feel like the Browns as an organization, as a team, just from top to bottom, everybody's unified and on the same page. And we look like we know what the hell we're doing. I, that's the vibe I get from the building, the Browns. I mean, everybody's on the same page yeah, yeah. having a good time. So, um, that, that's one of my takeaways. It's, it's just exciting to see how everything is, is, uh, just, uh, I don't know. Everything is just clicking again at, at a really great time. And, and, and it just looks like everything is, is very well oiled. So that's, that's a great takeaway for me. Um, also I thought this, this episode, this most recent episode did a great job to kind of, uh, portray Coach Munkin and his relationship with the team, with the players, and it sort of squashes all that narrative that was out there about, you know, the, the scheme, not, you know, yeah, kind of yeah. getting up to a rocky start. And and of course it's, you know, there's going to be some some bumps and bruises and some learning and, and getting used to each other, but it really portrayed him as a, as a leader and as a guy who's connected with his players. And I think that was an important takeaway uh, for, for me and the most recent episode. And the last one I'll say is, I just love Freddie kitchens, man. (laughs) I I, I don't care if he's a rookie coach, all that, all that stuff. You can just tell this dude's a coach and he just, he gets it. He gets people. He understands how to work with people, how to motivate people. And I just, I just love the way he speaks to people. It it gets your attention when it needs to. It kind of endears you when it needs to. He's just, he's very spot on with how he approaches stuff. And I just love the insight that the, the, again, the series has shown us with that.
0: Yeah, yeah, you uh, you hit the nail on the head. There's something really likable about Freddie Kitchens, um, and some of that, who knows? Like, we 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 see the public surface of things, but every stop of, uh, along the way, every team he's worked with, like the consistent vibe from the players that have worked with him, they they love this dude. He's a he's a he's a likable kind of guy, and you can sense that. You can say he's a chill bro. He doesn't get he doesn't get flapped. He's he's funny. That the the scene where he is on the sideline and he's, he's talking to Baker, and he reaches under and, like, tickles his chin. He's like, yeah, give me some of that. And, like, I remember watching that in retrospect and just dying, and I saw Ryan Burns on Twitter, like, making jokes about it. He was like, chin tickles for everyone this year. It's going to be amazing. Um, yeah. It just kills me. Like, his personality just kills me, but I'm glad you brought up the Todd Monk and stuff, because I'm really, I'm really curious what the fact and fiction there is, what the divide is. Like, if we're being honest, like, there's always nuance here, and there's always shades of gray, and obviously, like, incorporating two guys who fundamentally have different schemes everyone wants to point to these schemes as being very compatible like they're not like Todd Munkin runs a downfield passing offense and what Freddie Kitchens did over the last eight games of the season this year was very quick hitting It was was a lot of misdirection a lot of rub routes and I'm not saying that there aren't concepts of both in the playbooks of both but like what they're aiming to do is very different they're gonna have to find the synergy between those two points and I'm really interested to know how much of Mike Silver's report is valid that the Browns are really kind of having to sort out what they want to be about, what their offensive identity this year is going to be because it's so philosophically different. Now they're working it out. That's what OTAs are for. I'm not saying this to be a doom and gloom or like a a harbinger of bad news. Like it's OTAs. Now is the time to figure out what you're going to be about to install playbooks to figure out what you're good at and and feel, uh, figure out what you're uh, what you need to work on. But um I'm curious to see what the reality there is and my my concern is that the Browns offensive line hasn't gotten any better it may have, it may have gotten significantly worse with the departure of Kevin Zeitler uh and the plugging in of an unknown in either Austin Corbett or um what's it say it's not Cray the uh not Callis Callis the St. Edwards product uh Calise Calise calisi the right guard um either way like it's probably going to be a little bit worse so like are we are we really the kind of team that wants to institute a heavy downfield passing attack i don't know and i think that they have to figure it out so i'm i'm, I'm interested to see how that transition goes
1: yeah it was in, it's interesting that you bring up uh coach munken because there was a, a again a spot on the last episode about coach Munkin and sort of the the players introspective view of how hands on he is and and kind of how he sets the bar and what he expects and sure that's all this is all stuff the Browns want you to see, right? But um, it's just good because he obviously has a great history of being a a developer. At least that's what we've been led to believe. So, and I think, uh, yeah, I I mean, I'm I'm excited about, about what he can bring to the, to the mix uh, for the offensive line, even in the departure of Zeitler, I think there's going to be certainly some, uh, some, some learning curves there to say the least.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it's great. Like, we talked a little bit about how when you have different ideas on this podcast, mm-hmm. it makes the podcast better. Like, yes. you know, butting heads because you're an idiot about Duke Johnson makes this podcast better. <laughs> <laughs> Muckett <Munkin laughs> and Freddie Kitchens having a different offensive velocity is just going to make them better. As long as they respect where the other person is coming from and they find the things yeah. that, are, that are both valuable here. Uh, I love it. I, I, I love watch. that they didn't bring somebody in that was just a yes, sir. Like I'm going to run whatever you want me to, to run. I'm just trying to, to make, to look good in your offense. I want somebody who looks at this a little bit differently, but yep. that understands that Freddie is quote unquote huge air quotes driving this fucking bus and is responsible ultimately for the product that's on the field.
1: Yep. And that's a great point. I think, I don't know. It's just, when you, when you get two smart people in a room, like you said, you're going to take a little bit of what you have to say. You're going to take a little bit of what I have to say we're going to disagree about that. We're going to disagree about this. But at the end, whatever we decide is probably going to be a whole hell of a lot better than, you know, it, it's going to be a little bit of you, a little bit of me, and it's going to be good. Yeah. It's just trying to figure out, you know, when to push and pull on that relationship. And it just takes a little bit of time. So I think, sure, it might be there. But I think, again, like you said, it's OTAs. It's kind of overblown at this point. and Very overblown. I mean, we're never going to even talk about this once training camp starts. It's not even going to be a thing. It's yeah, just, it's just it. in the moment. Yeah.
0: None of it's going to be a thing. And fuck Mike Silver. Like, honestly, like why do you have to be <laughs> such a drama queen about every? Like we know, and we know the reason why, like right. we know why he has to be a drama queen about everything, but uh, Jesus, man, it's OTAs and you're stirring up this, like first there's a drama about the, the, the play calling. And then there's the like veterans had to approach Baker right. Mayfield to let him know that his tone was off on Duke John. Like, I promise you, I would bet my set sa- like I would bet a paycheck. I was about to say salary. I would bet a paycheck.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Nobody here is rich. Um, now who's a
1: mess? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I would bet a paycheck that that was like a forty-second conversation where it's like, "Yo, man." Exactly. Like, this is this dude's livelihood. Like maybe this, these aren't the equities that you want to be involved in. Maybe this isn't the situation that you want to get yourself. So
1: maybe like, maybe you should go take it. a look. Maybe you should take a look at Baltimore and figure out why Lamar Jackson didn't get the playbook until two weeks ago or whatever <laughs> it was. I mean, that's a much bigger story than whatever the hell you're spinning up here in Cleveland yeah. just to get clicks because the Browns are the Browns. Like,
0: yeah, go do like some that, work. I like that the Browns could be one of the most well-oiled machines for the next ten years. They could be very comfortable. They could have a model NFL franchise for the next six, seven years. But the troll that we're going to have now is Mike Silver. Cause like, he's never going to let that go. He's never going to let the Hugh Jackson stick go. Like ever. it's, it's, it's always, it's always yeah. going to be a thing.
1: I can't wait to get to that point. I mean, who cares?
0: Yeah, I certainly don't. I don't care right now. Like, I think it's funny. I was just like, Oh, Mike Silver started up stuff. Like, great. Good, good for right. you, Mike Silver. Like get your clicks, get your clicks, bro. Like nobody, everyone else is excited. If you want to post a bunch of gossip columns, you do you. Um, Yeah. So so, uh, so it's interesting, like, Mike Silver is, is, is kind of starting up some, some stuff, and we're talking about the, the, um, the way that Todd Munkin and Freddie Kitchens are going to have to put together a playbook um, that's going to best utilize the talent that they have in place. I think that it's, it's kind of – it goes without saying that it's really a best utilization of what are some of the very, very talented players. Like, across the league – almost unanimously and universally everyone expects this Browns team to succeed. Um, And that's based on the quality of the talent. Uh, Very little of that has to do with coaching. Like there's still the very distinct reality that Freddie Kitchens is a rookie head coach, but nobody expects him to fail because the team is so stacked with talent. And that got me thinking about those 2011, 2012 teams in which like some of these coaches just didn't have a chance. Like they didn't have a prayer. Like they were going to a season on both sides of the ball in which the best players that you had to get excited about were, Jameer Miller and Barkevius Mingo and Mingo. Brandon, Brandon, Brandon Whedon throwing five yard slants a hundred times a game to Muhammad Masquoi. Like these guys didn't have a chance. <laughs> and I was thinking about this because I'm watching the giants this year. And I'm thinking like, these dudes don't have a chance. Like Pat Shermer doesn't have a chance this year to, to, to crush. Like, is there a more unlikely story this year than the giants winning 10 games is, is, is Pat Shermer right. just completely Screwed in New York.
1: I I, I kind of feel like I mean I don't know I I, I think Shermer kind of is who Shermer is. I mean he was he's the same guy in New York that he was in Cleveland. He you he, know, he was he the same guy. Well, I mean he feels like it to me. He feels like a guy who's going to suffocate his star player out of town. He's a guy who's going to you know try to micromanage his players and hold them to some antiquated standards and all these different all these different things that again I kind of felt like he did in Cleveland that he you know it's kind of showing up again now in New York now in terms of personnel I mean stuck with Daniel Jones and Eli Manning and I mean it's 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 a tough tough road to hoe and I think yeah I mean that's a very unlikely scenario I don't see the Giants winning anywhere close to 10 games but that's just me
0: and look like I want to talk about that for a minute You see a lot of the same kind of stuff. You see a lot of the same kind of nonsense in the media that drove us absolutely batshit crazy with, with Pat Shermer. And I hear what you're saying. Like that is going to sink him in a, in an outlet like New York, but the New York media and the amount of attention that these players get and the kind of atmosphere in that locker room where like, you have to win now, like the giants aren't the Browns. They don't, they're not going to tolerate this. Um, And I agree with you. I think that that is going to be a real problem for him. But I think that as a coach, he's come a long way. Like he's worked with some guys, the experience that he had in Philly working for Chip Kelly and running that up-tempo offense that was, was very different than anything. He very different than anything that he saw with the Mike Holmgren coaching tree, that, that, that archaic West coast offense that he, he grew up in. He, he learned and he innovated there. And then he went to Minnesota and he worked with great guys in Minnesota. I think that as a coach, he's probably a very different guy. Like he's probably a very different quantity, but a, you're right. Like his demeanor and his attitude hasn't changed a bit. Like his press conferences look very similar. which yep. Which we bat- we battled. We battled. We have hard nipples, and we battled. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that that's a shout out to the fact that if you go back and look at the tape, almost every Pat a press conference featured uh, really hard nipples. I don't know why. I'm fine with it. It doesn't affect me. My...
1: Remember that detail. That's great.
0: Uh, I distinctly remember that detail because it was every press conference. It's like a Jennifer Aniston thing. I was just like, why are why is this dude's nipples hard for every single press conference?
1: Josh has a, a nipple drawn on his calendar from that year every time. <laughs> every press conference, he's got a nipple drawn on his calendar.
0: I don't think I have a weirder Browns fact either. Like, I don't think there's a thing with coaches that thinking – like, going back in retrospect, like, I that stands out to me more than Pat Shurmur's nipples. Like, maybe five years from now, we'll think about um, uh, uh, a stump – the running back coach, we'll think about his beard and how he looks like Gandalf at trading camp this year, and we'll be like, that was weirder than Pat Shermer's nipples, but I don't think they're, I think that Pat... It, it might
1: know. be Wiley's rhinoceros. That, was, that, that schtick was pretty freaking wild, Thinking, talking about animals and like, what? Like, what is happening? That's up there for me, but I, I, I like Stump's beard. I wish, I mean, that's, that's a pretty badass beard, but a Wiley's, Wiley's talk about animals was just like, Okay.
0: Can you believe that the Browns, in a year in which they had to win or the entire staff was going to get fired, employed a guy who was a stretching truther? Like, employed a guy who didn't believe that stretching was a thing. Like, he spent fifty, and I maybe Joe Thomas can correct me. <laughs> maybe Joe Thomas will correct me. Maybe that was all shtick, but I believed every minute of it. I was just like, this dude does not believe that stretching is a legitimate thing you have to do. This dude is an NFL coach who doesn't believe in stretching (laughs) and who is comparing, who's comparing offensive line styles to gorillas. This is really happening.
1: (laughs) Oh, shit, (laughs) you're killing me, man. I, I I, want to believe, I want to believe. believe. I (laughs) I think, I think it was really the dude. I think, I think it was the dude too.
0: I'm with you. I think that that was who he was. I think that was, a completely authentic version of Bob Wiley.
1: Right. Right. I mean I would love I mean, maybe not. I'd love to send you in his car just to kind of give me a synopsis of what that conversation would be like. An hour with Bob Wiley and his Bugatti. Just yeah. Josh. His um, Maserati? Yeah, yeah. He was Oh I'm sorry, the Maserati, my bad.
0: Yeah, no. Joe Thomas was like, You're only scratching the surface of this too. I listened to him on the uh uh, the breakdown, the podcast he does with Hawkins, um, I, I forget the name. Like tomahawk, tomahawk, the tomahawk. Sorry, yeah, not the breakdown. The, the the tomahawk, and he was like, "You guys are only getting the tip of the iceberg with Bob Wiley. Like this dude is a lunatic. Like he's amazing, and I love him, and he's a great coach, but he's a lunatic. And so, like, if this is the iceberg, the animal, right. the animal parallels, and the stretching <laughs> through thing, like the whole thing, I was like, I can only imagine. But um,
1: it's right up there with the nipples for sure.
0: Yeah. Very colorful. We've had some colorful coaches. We've had some very colorful coaches. And, like, it's weird that, like, Greg Williams doesn't even jump to mind with with how crazy that dude was because we've had people that are at the next tier above Greg Williams. And also, Greg Williams is full of shit. Like, Greg Williams is bullshit. Like, all of his shtick went away the second he became the head coach.
1: Yeah, it's true. He was still kind of, like, that hard-nosed type of dude. But, yeah, he kind of went away from some of those, like, Just off the wall type comments. And
0: yeah, I watched that. I watched Greg Williams. I watched Greg Williams get named the head coach, and literally the next press conference, he became an adult. He
1: he showed up with like a tie, like, yo,
0: yeah, he had thoughts. He was collected. He talked about like the vision of the team. It was like he either he. And I have trouble discerning which of this is shtick and which of this is who he really was. But he was just like, this role demands this kind of an attitude. And it was believable. I was like, oh, oh like, this is who you are. I think, this is, I think this is actually who you are. Not all of that other screaming and yelling and putting your balls in the sea gap and all that kind of stuff. I think that this is actually who you are. And the right. screamy, yelly persona is your defensive coordinator persona. And I get, like, maybe that works. Maybe your schemes don't, but maybe that works as a personality thing.
1: So before we transition, this all that Greg Williams is like the perfect example, in, in my opinion, from the outside looking in, of what Freddie Kitchens kind of summarized in the last episode of Building the Browns, which is usually the coach who's the who's the loudest. Like you got to step back and actually listen to what he's saying. Is he actually coaching you, or is he just saying like a bunch of loud noises? And it's 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 oftentimes he said the loudest coaches are the ones that are are teaching the least. And so I have to imagine, again, given that shtick and what we heard is that, yeah, it's a rah-rah it's type of thing, but in the end, it's not really – what's it teaching? What's it coaching? And I think that's what kind of distinguishes you know, the, the, the two positions. It's, it's just weird how one day he's one way, and the next day he's the head coach, and all of a sudden he's a student. And now he's trying to, to, to tell you like actual stuff. It's, it's just weird. It doesn't make any sense to me.
0: Yeah, it didn't make any sense to me at the time. And uh, it doesn't make any sense to me now. And I'll be curious to see how quickly he reverts as the the Jets DC just to, to going exactly right back to where he was before. Hmm. Um, I'm going to take this time to take a break, let our sponsors uh, talk about some stuff because I think we have sponsors. Um, and then we're going to come back and we're going to do a lightning round. All right, we're back. <laughs> um, and so we're going to we're going to kick off the second half of the segment with uh, with a couple of questions, some lighting round type questions. Um, the first of which. Um, was a question that was asked from one of our seven Twitter followers. Um, who do we think is going to be the most improved player on the Browns in 2019? I think that's a good question because it, we're working with players that we have a known quantity of. So these are guys that have been on the roster for at least one year. And who has the opportunity to leap into the next tier? Who's going to be way more productive than they were last year? So you don't want to rush to, to, to pick a player like Baker, who had a good year last year, or Denzel Ward, who was already a Pro Bowler. So, so, so you want somebody who, who shows that kind of improvement potential. So who, Mike, Mike Krupka, who do you think is the uh, candidate for most improved player?
1: Uh, I mean, being serious, it's got to be Chad Thomas, because if he did nothing the year before, <laughs> doing something in 2019 is an improvement, right? Um, but no, I think, you know, you heard about him at least the first day of the the mandatory camp. You know, he was kind of, making some plays and he was seen doing some things inside and outside. So that was good to see. So, you know, the defense could really, and the team really for, from a value perspective from the draft could really use him uh, or or, or value in stepping up this year. That would be a a huge improvement. Uh, So I'd like to think that'll happen, but back in reality, um, I think, and this might sound a little bit crazy, but I think Najoku is primed for a big improvement. I think, you know, he's contributed pretty well and and he came along very well at the end of last year. But I think on a consistent basis, if he can produce, he's 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 primed for a big boost this year um, on offense. And then, yeah, um, maybe Austin Corbett as well. Yeah, I mean, I love, really, I love, that you're giving, I love
0: that you're giving three answers to this question. Where I said most improved player, and you're on to your third player. But go on, no, tell me about Austin Corbett.
1: Well, there's not much to tell you about because again, he didn't do much last <laughs> year. So. <laughs> hopefully he does something this year and again, and then he can be in that category. And with that, I'll, I'll shut up. Cause you know, you don't like my answers. Three answers is too much for Josh. So I'm sorry.
0: Those are those, all three of those individually are great answers to that question. Um, and later on, you'll be like, remember that podcast that I said, he was going to be the most improved player. I called it. Uh, you can go through another <laughs> right. three or four examples so that you cover all your bases. Um, Austin Corbin, I think is an excellent uh, answer to that question. Because like you said, um, he was a high-round pick, so you know he's going to get the opportunity. He's got uh, um, J.C. Shredder on the other side of him, who had a great year last year, is very familiar with the system, and is going to help uh, coach him up. And I think that he has all of the athleticism that you want out of the position. He just needs to get the reps and the experience. So so I think that's a great answer. I'm also a huge uh, David Njoku truther. For those of you that don't follow me on Twitter, I – spend a lot of my time on Twitter arguing about David Njoku. I think he's incredibly talented. And I think that tight ends in general need to be viewed on a three-year curve. Like, I I think these guys don't just immediately explode on the scene. It's a hard position to pick up. And there's nobody in the league that was more raw coming in than David Njoku. He's 20 years old. He was just a pass catcher at Miami. He's basically just a big slot receiver. Um, He wasn't a guy that was expected to do any of the fine, uh, fine fine-tuned things that a tight end is expected to do in the league. So – you saw it last year. As soon as he started getting passes that were thrown in his shins, like his drop rate went precipitously down and his uh, conversion rate on third downs and his big play percentage went up. Um, I do think that he was hobbled all year with a knee injury. And I think that you're going to see the best football that he has this year. He could be, he should be a top eight tight end in the league this year. Should be. I agree. I agree. Um, and when you look at that list, especially with Gronkowski out, it's not hard to find guys that he should be leapfrogging, especially with his talent. Um, the guy that I am going to pick, however, I'm going to pick a second guy because I'm pulling a Krupka here, is uh, Larry Ogunjobi. And I feel like that's a kind of slam dunk of an answer because he was, he was also hurt so much of last year, and there was absolutely nothing else on the line besides him and Miles Garrett. And I think he is poised to have a tremendous year in the middle of that defensive line. I think that he's going to maul people. I think that consistently him and Sheldon Richardson, provided they can both stay happy, are going to absolutely crush the middle of that pocket. And I think that the Browns defensive line might end up being the biggest uh, strength on this team next year. You have four guys that each individually are expected to carry the load for other teams historically by themselves. Larry Ganjobi was essentially the guy in the middle of the lineup last year. Miles Garrett was a single-handed pass rush wrecking crew. And then you had uh, Sheldon Richardson crushing it in, in Minnesota. And Olivier Vernon is the sole – uh, edge rusher in New York. So these are all guys that got the best of what a defense had to offer them last year. And now they're all playing together. So there's not going to be a single guy that they can focus on. And I think that that's going to lead to all of them being a lot more productive than they were having.
1: I think you just named like five players, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that's Touche. how we do this,
0: right? If we just name a bunch of guys, then who would be wrong?
1: <laughs>
0: I'm just giving you shit. Um, next uh, kind of lightning round question. NFL.com published a story on the top wide receiver duos around the NFL, and they named the Browns Odell Beckham Jr. and Jarvis Landry as the number one wide receiver duo in the NFL, AFC and NFC. Um, I have two qualms with that statement. Can you guess what they are? Um, that they were number one and Jarvis Landry. Bam! Crush it. See, this is we've been working together for too long. You already know what I'm gonna say. Um, what do you think about that? What do you think about that ranking?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. There's around the league, there's a lot of respect and a lot of love for Jarvis Landry in our little Twitter world and the Cleveland pocket of that world. Jarvis Landry is just like, you know, regular household goods. And so there's just a disparity, I feel, between the two, the two ways of of viewing him. Um, I think he's a reliable, I mean, I go back and I watch the tape and he makes some freaking phenomenal catches in 2018 he yeah, it's it's ridiculous and I'm not saying he's the best athlete I'm not saying teams fear him I'm not saying that he should be the focal point and that you don't want to get the ball to other players but the dude is freaking reliable and you know Baker loves him so mm-hmm. I, 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 I think that his contract is the biggest detractor from his overall value I think that's the biggest thing that people you know that's the biggest shadow over what he does so that said I mean, Odell Beckham, easily a top three or four wide receiver in the NFL mm-hmm. uh, with Baker Mayfield, especially. I, I guess I'm, I'm not really giving you an answer. I'm, I'm torn about Jarvis Landry. I think he can be that at that echelon, especially with Odell. But I also think that Callaway is, is staged for a big year, too. Um,
0: yeah. That's a great answer. Um, I'm, I'm conflicted about the ranking itself. And um, I'm conflicted about the ranking because I think that there are a lot of teams that have great one-two punches.
1: I think it's mm-hmm. really,
0: really difficult to argue. And they had uh, Atlanta's wide receiver duo, yeah. Ridley and Seven. Julio. Yeah, they had them seventh or eighth, which I thought was really, really low. I think that
1: That's really low.
0: Julio Jones is an absolute monster. I think Calvin Ridley is a monster. I think that Mohamed Sanu, and this was a question about duos, not trios, but Mohamed Sanu is a great number three receiver. That's a really, really good team. And I think that ranking them that low is really hard. The fact that Pittsburgh yeah. didn't even make the list with the guys that they have is is, is kind of – I slap in the face of the people that are still in that building, and they're going to take that as fuel.
1: Yep, I'm I'm freaking surprised that DeAndre Hopkins and Will Fuller are as low as they are. I mean, yeah, that's a pretty damn good duo, especially with you know Watson throwing the ball. I'm, I'm surprised it's that low.
0: Yeah, me um, too. I think part of the reason is that Will Fuller Will Fuller has struggled to stay healthy, and they they're yeah, concerned about his durability. Yeah, um, yeah. But as far as the Browns are concerned with this. My biggest hang-up here, and I love Jarvis Landry, and I'm glad he's on this team. Like, I am not a, um, I'm not a guy that wants to see him go. I am a, I, I, I hear you on the fact that he is dramatically overpaid for the kind of production he has and that he didn't have his most reliable season. That the, the the biggest thing that Jarvis Landry does to you for you is that he catches absolutely everything and that he's one of the best blocking wide receivers in the NFL. So he's reliable. He's tough. He's strong. He'll make the contested catches, and he catches everything everything that's in his own and this last year was one of the least efficient years that he had as far as um it ran him on a lot of routes that he's not gonna excel in they ran him in a lot of vertical routes a lot of downfield stuff that's not how you want to use Jarvis Landry and also like he dropped more balls than you're used to seeing yeah, also the flip side of that is that like you said with Antonio Callaway and Rashard Higgins I think he's mm-hmm. like the fourth best receiver on this team and I know that that is an unpopular opinion but I think it's the truth I think that when you look at the numbers, I think Rashard Higgins converted and was much more explosive on the plays in which he was targeted. He was much more reliable catching the ball. He had a better uh, chemistry and rapport with Baker, and they didn't force the ball to him. And he caught absolutely everything that was thrown. He was kind of the version of Jarvis Landry that everybody wants Jarvis Landry to be. And I'm concerned that, like, because of Landry's contract, that you know that that might be this might be the last year that we see Higgins doing that in Cleveland, um, because some team is going to see. Uh, all the value that that um, we're getting out of Higgins, and they're going to want that on their team. So if, if I'm rewriting that article, mm-hmm. Cleveland's probably in the top three. You can make the argument with Atlanta. You can make the argument with Minnesota very easily. Adam Thielen and Stephon Diggs are an incredible duo right. of wide receivers. Right. And the drop-off between one and two there isn't as dramatic as it is between OBJ and the next guy below him. But if I'm talking about Cleveland's setup, I'm definitely putting Antonio Callaway or Shard Higgins at that number two and not Jarvis Landry.
1: It's interesting. Yeah, I mean I'm I'm going Cleveland probably top 5. I don't know about number 1. I yeah. I, mean, I love I love it, but I, I'm not, I'm not believing it just yet, but yeah. I mean with Higgins I think the key is that in last year, you know, his market share was only 11%. Yeah. Right. So, and with that he did 600 yards and four touchdowns. Monster. Um, and they were all important. Yeah, and I mean it, I'm pulling up next gen stats, right? And so his, and I, and I tweeted this out again today, his his 73% catch rate is ranked the NFL's 13th best. And that's with a minimum of 43 targets, right? Um, And he has 11.2 yards per target, which is tied with Antonio Brown. Um, So anyways, point being very productive receiver in the limited snaps that he's had, give him more snaps, give him more looks, get the ball to him down the field more and good things are going to happen. And to your point, You know, I'm really glad that we locked him up again for this year for the option, and I I really hope that we're able to bring him back uh, and extend him um, after this year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. Um, Moving on, I'm going to bring up a kind of weird topic. and It's a – again, another uh, topic on Twitter that we're going to talk about. Uh, If you can go back to time in your time machine and get one extra possession for any Browns game over the last, like, 10 years. I I know it's kind of a weird question. If you could go back and kind of change the outcome, give the Browns one more chance to do something in a game, um, which game would you choose? And I'm going to go ahead and, and give my answer first for this because what brought it up is we were talking about the Chauncey-Stuckey fumble. I don't know if you remember the year. It was Eric Mangini was the coach. The Browns, wow. had, inserted, the Browns had inserted Colt McCoy in at quarterback after DeLome and Seneca Wallace had gotten injured. Season yep. was kind of already lost. We didn't know what was going on. McCoy comes in and lights it up is shockingly capable a quarterback. The Browns are energized. They win a couple games over teams that they're not supposed to beat. They beat the Saints in the Dome. Yep. Um, they, they thrashed the Saints in the Dome. They picked off uh, Drew Brees, I want to say, t- uh, three times in that game. I think um, so.
1: I think you're right.
0: And then I think they beat the Patriots in the next week. They beat another team that they had no business beating. And then they welcomed the Jets to the Factory of Sadness. Um, in a game that had legit playoff ramifications, this is a game in which the Browns were feeling themselves. They win that game, completely changes the, the the context and the texture of the season. Um, and they 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 duke it out with the um, with the Sanchez led Jets. They are down a couple points in the fourth quarter, with time winding down. They're driving down the field, and Colt McCoy throws a throws a, a nice deep route to Chauncey Stuckey that he fumbles. Um inside of the ten yard line with a chance to kick a field goal and win the game. Um this is the Phil Dawson era, so the, the field goal is basically a given. Um golden. Yeah, it's 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 basically a done deal as long as he retains possession of the ball and he inexplicably catches the ball and then fumbles it. Jets recovered, game's over. I want the Browns to have another chance in that game. I want I wanna either wipe away that turnover or I want the Browns to get the ball back again because they were killing it. Um and I know that that was probably a, a no, a nothing season. And I know that saving Eric Mangini's job probably doesn't have a butterfly effect on the Browns, but there was a lot going on that, uh, that year, that game. Um, and there was respectability being built there. That I think that when that was lost, kind of derailed what was going on and led to everything that happened in the home homegrown era. Um, hmm. So, so yeah, there's some things that could have happened there. What do you think? What do you, what, what game would you go back and change?
1: Interestingly enough, I think, uh, Chauncey Stuckey was sent to Cleveland as a, uh, you know, as a Trojan horse for that game specifically <laughs> from the Jets. Because, you know, he, he came over from the Jets the year before. Yeah. So I think that's that's what it was all about back in back in that era, right, was – no, I'm kidding.
0: But. I don't think if it were for that drop that I would even remember that Chauncey Stuckey was on the Browns too. Like I would think – I think I would have washed his name from the annals of Browns history if it wasn't right. for him single-handedly fucking up that game.
1: Right, like so many before him just lost in <laughs> – He's, yeah, he's, <laughs> anyways, yes. so for me, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go back in history. This kind of question caught me off guard a little bit, but I'm just going to go back to last year, the last game against the Ravens. There was a lot of different implications for a number of teams in the AFC North for the Browns, continuing their kind of resurgence uh, at the end of the season, the ability to potentially still, at least t- statistically, be viable for the playoffs. Um, all those different things with the weight of it, I would love to get one more possession at the end of that game, especially the way we are moving the ball at the end of the game against the defense. I think just for the, the the sheer gravitas of what that would have meant to potentially, you know, give us the opportunity to go to the playoffs. I think that that game would have been uh, an ecstatic situation to watch the Browns get one more possession and try to come back in and win it.
0: God, man, I need to go back and rewatch the games from this last year, because I felt that way about, half of the games from last season that like everything was so close all of our games came down to one possession at the end who had the ball last kind of situation like this was a really exciting football season regardless of how it turned out seven eight and one like it was not for the faint of heart it was not for uh the week of constitutions this was a fun football season and if next year or is the next iteration of that 2019 is gonna be a lot of fun
1: yeah for sure man it 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 just, it had, every game had that feeling as though like something could happen. You know yeah. what I mean? It, it was yeah. never, it was never too far out of our reach, except for maybe the, the Chargers game, which of course I flew back home for, Oof. but Gross. every other game, you know, was right there and we could have done anything like it, it, you just, you had to be ready for it. And it was a feeling that we haven't had in quite a while. So yeah, looking forward to the the iteration that is 2019 with even more talent on offense and even more talent on defense. It's, it's fantastic.
0: Yeah. A lot more talent on defense. I actually like, that's the biggest change on this team, um, which brings us to our last question here, um, which is uh, who do you think the, the most important three players on the Browns outside of Baker Mayfield are like with that revamped defense, how many of how many of the most important three players on the team for you factor into that defense?
1: Interesting. I mean, there's a lot of important players, right? Let's not yeah. mince words about that. So mm-hmm. these rankings can go any way, but off the top of my head, on defense, I think Sheldon Richardson is key. I think mm-hmm. he's the first guy that comes to mind. If he can have a monster year, he's going to free up everybody else to eat because he has the ability to to win in any situation, one on one, two on one. I mean, he can he can take on two guys and still win. So I think that's an important player uh, for the whole defense. I think you gotta you gotta also look at I think Greedy Williams. I mean, you, you drafted him in the second round. You expect him to come in and be able to, to be a cover guy. If he can come in and produce at a high level, you've got a duo of Ward and Greedy, and that's going to change the face of this defense and change the, the way offenses approach us. That's for sure. And then I think the, the last guy for me is is Miles Garrett. Is he you know he's your number one draft pick from a couple of years ago. He's now got support, and he's going to be able to just unleash on quarterbacks and if he can do what he's supposed to do and what I think he can do it's going to be uh it's going to be lights out for for a lot of quarterbacks this year man.
0: Yeah, can't agree with any of that. I I think that when I made this list I included Larry and Sheldon kind of as interchangeable here, some sort of interior mm-hmm. pressure, some sort of exterior pressure. And for me the third player was uh, Denzel Ward. Um, he's kind of interchangeable in this idea with Greedy Williams. Somebody that can hold down coverage in the back end and give these guys enough time to get home, but I think it's interesting that both you and I uh, focused on um, defensive players. That we think that um, the offensive players, as long as Baker is healthy, um, are kind of interchangeable, as much as we love OBJ, as much as the Chubb or not is an absolute monster. The Browns are deep at skill position. And yep. I don't think that losing any one person outside of Baker would cripple the offense. I do think that losing a couple of these players uh, in key positions on the defense would cripple the Browns. Uh, chances of making the playoffs and making waves when they get there.
1: I will say one one other. At this point, he's the the unknown soldier, and that's the right guard. I think is an other important, you know, <clears throat> position this year. Whoever that ends up being, they have to come in and produce at at least a mediocre level. Um, that's a very important position with Baker being a short quarterback. <clears throat> excuse me, being able to create those. That, that that pocket in the middle and those throwing lanes for him is going to be important. So if we're going to, you know, look to the offensive side of the ball that isn't a skill player, I'd say that's the position. That's the guy, whoever that person will be, that yeah. will be an important factor.
0: Yeah. The offensive line has to be able to play good enough. And, and as a unit has to play well enough in order to give bigger chance to op- operate the offense. But I just like, I'm not going to lose sleep over, getting mediocre play out of a right guard. I will um, definitely have some angst over spending the 33 overall pick on a right guard that isn't at least mediocre, which is a, which, which has a distinct uh, chance of happening, but I'm not going to lose sleep over. They'll find, they'll find a guy that can play at a mediocre, mediocre level there. They got average play out of Greg Robinson and Greg Robinson was an absolute turd in Detroit. Like this is a guy that was not playable at all. And he's, decent he's going to he's going to he's going to have another decent to good year on this team the way it's constructed and somebody's going to give him like 50 million dollars next year so um i'm not i'm not terribly worried about it they'll they'll find somebody who can play at an average level at guard it'll be great um Browns are going to be great it's going to be exciting we're weeks away from shit kicking off i'm very excited for it i god i can't believe that we got to record t- like at least one to two more podcasts with this much material before we get real football in place but once real football kicks off in training camp, we're going to have a lot to talk about. We're going to have a lot of interesting things to discuss. We're going to hang on every single word, every single important moment in training camp. And I'm excited to do it with you, buddy.
1: Right on, brother. And I'm excited to do it with you and all the other uh, seven listeners out there. Let's do it.
0: <laughs> so, so thank you, seven listeners, for, for uh, checking in. And uh, rate us on iTunes. I, I read every single comment because there's only four of them. Um, <laughs> so leave comments tell us what you think talk to us on twitter talk to us on dogs by nature talk to us on uh email talk to us about whatever like we're here to talk about what you want to talk about we have lots of thoughts we want to know what you want to think what, what you think about what you want to talk about so um <laughs> uh this is uh mike and i signing off and we'll be back in a week or two to talk about more um dead season nonsense thanks guys